Welcome to the Faith and Works podcast, sponsored by the Interfaith Leadership Council of Metropolitan Detroit. Uh, this podcast is part of a series that we are doing on the sacred. Uh, what is the sacred is today's theme. We're going to explore the idea of something being sacred and uh, uh, we've done two podcasts already on the sacred, what, uh, how are our children sacred, and also one on is humanity sacred. Uh, this one might have been the first, uh, or could have been the first of those. Uh, we're living in unsettled times, I think. Uh, the history uh, that we're living through right now feels very much like history, that uh, a historical pattern that America has been in when it has not been able to discover exactly what is sacred. I think that there's some sense that we have abandoned the sacred. Uh, so today we're going to explore what is sacred, how do you define it, how do you know it when you see it. Your moderator today is Reverend Robert Jones, a nationally known musician and pastor of Sweet Kingdom Missionary Baptist Church in Detroit, uh, he uh, was in the past uh, a uh, the, the host of a program on WDET called Blues from the Lowlands. Many of us know him from that period in his life, uh, which was indelibly imprinted on, on me as I listened on Saturday mornings. So, Robert, why don't you take it from here and uh, introduce our other panelists? Well, thank you, Bob. Um, also, I posted for about uh, four years a program called Deep River, which explored the sacred side of mm. the uh, traditional American music experience. But all of that is is what has led up to the day where I get the opportunity to have a great conversation with three very interesting and varied panelists coming from different faith traditions. Um, we have from Baha'i, uh, Janet Pound, who introduces herself as a scholar. No, uh, not as well, she doesn't introduce it. She says that they have that, that the Baha'i faith has no clergy, right? So that those who are uh, involved in, in the Baha'i faith don't come from a position necessarily of being ordained, but do come from a position of being students. Is that fair? Yes, that, that would okay. be fair. Okay. Okay, well, and uh, we really want to thank um, uh, also um, Nasi, Nasi uh, Sankagiri, who is um, the uh, Narayana, I'm sorry, Narayana Swami, right? Um, you got it. Hope I didn't butcher that too badly. No, and, no, you got it perfectly fine. All right, and, and coming from the Hindu tradition, and also, we want to thank um, Bishop Carlotta Vaughn, who is um, uh, not only well known throughout the, the religious community in Detroit, but also a member of the school board, I believe, right? Detroit Public Schools. So welcome to all of you. Um, really looking forward to this opportunity to talk about something that's near and dear, I think, to all of our hearts because we all deal with the idea of sacredness, but we have to explore, as Bob mentioned, especially in this very secular um, country and world, what is it that's sacred? What makes something sacred? How do we define what is sacred? And so I'm gonna be really throwing this open to everyone to just kind of get in wherever you want to fit in. Um, and let's talk about this. What, you know, um, Bishop Vaughn, we'll start with you. What is sacred? And what is sacred to you? So thank you again for this amazing <clears throat> opportunity and invitation. And thank you again, Pastor Jones, for all that you do uh, in the music yeah. world, in the gospel world. I think that um, for me, sacred has to do with what is devoted to God and what comes from God, what emanates uh, from God. Uh, what comes from God is most like God mm. and bears the image of God. 
And so uh, when I read the scriptures for me, which would be the Bible, uh, it says that God created man or humans in his image and after his likeness. And so uh, for those of us in the Theological Academy, we say the Imagao Day or the Imagai Day. Uh, we refer to that as the image of God and that all humans are created in the image of God. So I think that that's uh, the first part of it is that where does it come from? What, what, where is it initiated from? Where does it emanate from? If it emanates from God, it is sacred. The other thing is that it is used for sacred purposes, uh, that we then have a sacred responsibility um, to uphold the sacredness of our image, that we are always connected to God, living for God, representing God in the marketplaces and wherever we go. So there's a twofold piece. It's where it comes from and it's indigenous purpose uh, that it remains in that sacred space. So for me, every human being is a sacred entity of God. Every human being, no matter what their race, no matter their ethnicity, uh, no matter their liturgy, uh, no matter their sexual orientation or gender, every human being created by God. Therefore, every human being bears the image of God. Therefore, it is sacred and we ought wow. to handle it as such. So that's that's been for me my lifelong journey. And when I met Bob Rutrell, he just echoed what was in my heart for years. And I think that if all of us felt that humankind was sacred. Uh, we wouldn't be in some wow. of the messes that we're in now. <laughs> so beautiful explanation, beautiful presentation of what is sacred. But of course, there are many voices and many perspectives on that which is sacred. So I will turn to Anasi um, and ask you, um, what do you consider to be sacred especially coming from the Hindu tradition. Um, thank you, Robert. Um, Hindu tradition is very complex and very pluralistic. So there is no single definition of what Hindu tradition is. So partly I will speak from personal perceptions and personal feelings and personal sense of devotion. And partly I will speak from what I have learned of Hindu scriptures uh, throughout this conversation. Um, many of your listeners probably know of Hindus as idol worshipers. I want to take a moment to comment on the term, mm -hmm. idol worshipers. In the dominant faith traditions around us, um, that is basically anathema. And that's fine. Uh, your teaching is what is your teaching, and I have no problem with that. Um, but I have a problem with the colonial baggage the term idol carries. So I prefer to use the original Sanskrit. Sanskrit is the ancient Indian language um, in which most of Indian uh, Hindu liturgy, Hindu scriptures are written. I like to use the Sanskrit word murti, okay? Murti is the physical object that the Hindus worship, okay? It is not simply a three-dimensional statue. It is not there for the artistic value of the sculpture. It is there as an object of veneration. Why is this an object of veneration, right? It mm -hmm. is an object of veneration because the Hindu inherently understands that the stone or the wood or even a printed paper is not really God, 
but it is a manifestation of God. And this is what I can form a relationship with. So for 99% of Hindus across the globe, having a murti, having either a three-dimensional or a two-dimensional representation of, an, of a venerable form, that is the definition of sacred. I can tell you, it doesn't even really need to have a form. It can be simply a stone or a tree or a, you know, something like that. If you walk through uh, rural India, you will see devotees performing venerations and adorations and worship to just simply a stone. Mm -hmm. Because something happened in that locality to excite their devotional fervor that this is the manifestation of the divinity. Mm. And in fact, if we pause for a minute and uh, survey the history of religions around the world, we do have such representations in Judaism, in Christianity, in Islam, so on and so forth, right? So, Correct. whereas in, in Hinduism, I would say this is more ubiquitous. This is more um, the standard rather than the exception, okay? Uh, uh, I would like to also take a moment to say even something as mundane as a printed calendar, right? Uh, when the uh, traditional, uh, what we call English New Year or the Gregorian New Year comes around on January 1st, uh, many Indian businesses give out these printed calendars. And uh, most of the time, the calendar features uh, a picture of a Hindu divinity, of a Hindu murti, of a Vishnu or Krishna or Shiva or Lakshmi or something like that. So, and even that printed calendar becomes an object of devotion and that becomes sacred. So the murti is at the center of the sacred for a Hindu, 99% of the time. And as we go around, We'll talk about what happens to the one person. Okay. Well, you know, it's interesting that we we look at this, you know, we look at our traditions and a lot of times we dwell on the differences instead of dwelling on the commonalities. And as I think about, you know, especially in uh, the Old Testament, in the Torah, there were places Bethel or the, the the tree at Mamre where God appeared to Abraham or uh, the well, the Hiroi, where, where um, Hagar, uh, God heard her prayer. And all those places are still physical places. And in fact, I have some friends who are right now in Israel being baptized in the Jordan. Uh, so, you know, I, I think if we dwell on the commonalities instead of trying to label one another, then we get closer to the truth. So you I really appreciate it. Right you hit it right on the head. Wonderful. One I, every once in a while, even a stop clock is right. So so now let's move to the Baha'i tradition. And Janet, uh, what is your well relationship, your explanation for the sacred? Sacred. It was interesting because I've never been asked that question before. So I looked into it and I asked fellow Baha'is and I said, what have you felt was sacred in our faith? And basically, I think I came away with three distinctive things. And in reading, this was a quote I thought um, was beautiful. It says, scriptures of religion are its very heart and soul. They come not from human beings, but from the heart of heaven. And that makes them sacred. The word mm. of God radiates like the sun with unmatched splendor, beauty, and perfection to the farthest reaches of the earth. It is the source of the spiritual life of the world. The winds and the whims of time can never touch. Wow. So to us, basically, sacred would be our holy writings that were brought to us by our prophets. So the Bab, the Hawala, 
Baha'u'llah's son, Abdul Baha, our universal house of justice. So the texts, the prayers, the holy writings would be what we consider sacred, along with our own writings, which are maybe 20,000. And because our faith is so new, it 1863 was the beginning. It's the first time in the history of mankind where the actual manifestation of God, prophet, whatever you want to recall, directly wrote the books. And what we would consider out of the many, many prayers, texts, tablets, what we consider the most sacred is called the Katabi Akdas, which would be, I guess, equivalent to the Bible. And in that, we also consider the sacred texts of the other major world religions sacred. So the Bible, the Torah, the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, the other faiths, their um, spiritual texts would also be considered sacred to us. So along with that would be um, our holy shrines. Uh, and, the, and the two, the one would be an Akka, which would be our prophets, um, Baha'u'llah's holy shrine, and then the Bab in Haifa, Israel. And because our faith was came down from our prophet to what now is the universal house of justice, which is in Haifa, Israel, which is the center of our faith, that all the holy lands, the temples are considered sacred. And so that pretty much sums it up other than I did um, find something as far as nature. And it says, because Baha'is believe that we can find God everywhere on earth, especially in nature, that um, we have a specific prayer, which is short. So I thought if it's all right with everyone, I would say it. All right. Uh, blessed, so this would be, blessed is the spot and the house and the place and the city and the heart and the mountain and the refuge and the cave and the valley and the land and the sea and the island and the meadow where mention of God hath been made and his praise glorified. Wow, it's beautiful. So, so I would say those are our three major things that we consider sacred. Beautiful. So with every one of these explanations, every one of these descriptions, I won't say explanations because you really can't explain the sacred in the way you explain some other things, but it seems like there is this commonality that if it comes from God, however we perceive God to be, that's what makes it sacred. That, you know, uh, Bishop Vaughn is, is, is echoing the words of Paul when he talks about, you know, um, the word being inspired or God breathed, Theonustos, right? And I've heard nothing in this conversation that that puts us at odds with each other, right? That you can be in a place and feel the sacredness of the place. Or you can, you know, conversely, you can be in a place like Auschwitz. I remember going to Birkin Belson and feeling the horror of the place is almost has its own consecration, you know, on it. But since all of us deal um, with that idea of sacredness being from God, a part of God, God touched, God inspired, then let, let me ask probably a difficult question for us to answer. Is there sacredness outside of the belief in God. I mean, we live in a secular society that seems to be moving away from a belief in God and deity and truth and all those things that we hold sacred. Is there some form of sacredness, maybe that's a better way to put it, that is not of God? Uh, can I take that? <clears throat> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, that's a beautiful question. And it is a constant question I think all of us face on a daily basis. In the Hindu tradition, from the Hindu scriptural teaching, God is not somewhere in the sky. God is within you. So almost Every single, not almost, every single outward ritual of worshiping God has been interpreted and taught 
as worshiping the self that is within you. There is the saying from the Vedas uh, or the Upanishads that says, Aham Brahmasmi, I am God. Brahm, Brahma is the word for God. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of like the Adonai in the Jewish tradition, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So Brahma in Hindu tradition is kind of equivalent to the Adonai in Jewish. Aham Brahmasmi, I am God, right? But that's not ego. That's not uh, me feeling I am above everybody else, uh, above brother Robert Jones or sister Janet Pound or anything like that, right? That means somebody who is able to see the, say that truly really realize that in the core of their being. Unfortunately, it's not everybody who will have that experience. Mm. It's not everybody who will have that experience. It's only a tiny, tiny fraction of the humanity that will have that experience and that can claim that. For those few blessed individuals, there is no difference between sacred and mundane. Everything is sacred to them. Every single thing in this creation is a manifestation of the divinity, right? That is the scriptural teaching. I have not experienced it, so I cannot speak to it. This is what I learned from the scripture, right? To try and answer your question, um, in the Hindu tradition, and this again comes very close to the biblical and the um, uh, Judaic teachings. Uh, if I can paraphrase, I don't remember exactly. Please feel free to correct me. There are many scholars here. Um, in the beginning, there was word. The word was with God and the word was God. In Sanskritam, we have the term Aksharam, a sharam. A is a negative um, adjective. Sharam. Sharam means that decays. Sharam is something that decays. A sharam is something that does not decay. Mm. That is definition of both God as well as a letter and the word. Aksharam is the letter and the word. Sadasat, ah. Ah, sadasat ksharam aksharam. So whatever decays, whatever does not decay, and that is the manifestation of the divinity, right? And the aspiration is that we get there. Yeah. Well, now, that's really in keeping with what Bishop Vaughn described as being every person has divinity. Every divinity is represented in, in each and every one of us, whether we recognize the divinity or not, right? Um, and and we, we go to idea, you know, found in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. That world includes the folks who believe and the folks who don't believe and the folks who believe differently. And and I, I think, you know, when we look at that, it, it was strangely enough, it is not our religious um, leaders or 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 our religious um, founders who make the differences it's the next generation we, we you know we separate but but mr von you know you come from the church of god in christ right uh, or, no you come out of the baptist church i, I think baptist. you're beautiful. you I are baptist, baptist. right so baptist. so we're, we're swimming in the same water yeah, uh, i'm baptocostal <laughs> baptocostal that's good so, so part of the experience of my, in my understanding, my grandmother loved taking me to Kojic churches when I was little, and part of the, the part of the whole experience was this experiential relationship with the Holy Spirit, with the, with the idea that the Holy Spirit brings His sacredness into your mundane life. 
and helps to change and guide and move. So, I, you know, weigh in wherever you, <laughs> there's not a question there, but I, you know, I would just love to have your, your input into what Nazi has just said. Well, anything else has been You know, um, I go back to my Genesis text. I think everything is started there. So uh, when God created man, um, he then breathed into his nostrils, the Ruah. Mm -hmm. uh, the Ruah in the New Testament is the Numa. Yes. Uh, so spirit and man became a living soul. It is that Ruah that makes us the image of God. It is not our religious preference or our liturgy or our faith expression that makes us sacred. It is the Ruah, the breath. Mm -hmm. When he breathed into man's nostrils. Now, um, uh, as, as he spoke earlier, he talked about the extensions of what man has created. So whether man has, has written texts, uh, as Janet has said, on where, whereas man has created temples and built temples or art, um, uh, has crafted books or music, those are the extensions of the Ruah. It's not that our hands did it, but it's the breath of God that is the innovator, the creator. Uh, the genius mind of God is that Ruah that's in every person. Our job, as we see ourselves as evangelicals, and I'm not really evangelical, I'm more Pentecostal than anything, uh, but our job is to make people aware of that Ruah, um, that evangelism is not giving people necessarily what they don't have, but making them aware of what they already have, what already has been done, causing them to be awakened to what God has done in Christ and what God has done already in them, the Ruach. This is why uh, the Bible says that God has given every man the measure of faith. So every person walking in the earth, person human has received the measure of faith, which makes it possible for them to hear and believe. And so evangelism is not so much getting people to believe in something that's foreign, but to believe in what already is. That's that breath of God. Now, I do a lot of teaching on Holy Spirit. That is, I'm a pneumatologist, so I do a lot of teaching on Holy Spirit. And I think that um, when, we, when, when, when I hear about these different liturgies, and I love all of this, I, I'm, I'm an interfaith girl. I love all of this um, goulash, as my mama would call it. I love all of it because I don't think that any one of us has all of it. Right. I think that all, I think all, it takes all of us collectively to represent the, to represent the divine. So I can learn from Janet, I can learn from Nasi, I can learn from Rutrell, I can learn from you. And all of us together, I've learned so much uh, from, from my Muslim brothers and sisters. I've learned so much from um, those who practice uh, the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, uh, from our Catholic brothers and sisters, from our Jewish brothers and sisters. You know why? Because we all have that Ruah. There is something very special about God's breath. And so when we are evangelizing people and we tell people, you know, you do already carry God's breath in you, you know, and all you have to do is come alive and, uh, and recognize that that's what makes us sacred. And so it's not whether or not you're a believer or a non-believer is, are you breathing? If you are <laughs> breathing, then you are breathing that Ruah. I love as, it. Long, as long as you are breathing the breath of God, the Ruah of God, the spirit of God, then you are a candidate for greatness. You're a candidate for genius. You're a candidate for innovation. You're a candidate for prosperity and health and wealth. And so even as a nurse, one of the things that I would get those who were sick, I was a triage nurse for many years. And one of the things that I would get people to do is breathe in deep. Just, you know, because they would come in in a panic, they would be traumatized or in pain. I would say, just stop 
taking a deep breath. Right. Just breathe. And that breath, that, that, and that is what leaves us. That is called death. Exactly. Life is when the breath comes in. Mm. Death is when the breath leaves out. Wow. Wow. So that, so breath, you, that, that, breath, that... Is, that breath is sacred and anything that that breath creates. Is mm -hmm. Wow. So we have this commonality of breath, right? So my understanding of Baha'i of, of that, of this faith is that, like you said, it's, it's a relatively late comer to world religion, which could be viewed as being young, but it also could be viewed as being developed because it, it doesn't go against any of the predecessors. In fact, you mentioned, Janet, that it recognizes the sacred scripture of other traditions, but then I, my understanding of Baha'i is it has this universal feel to it. Yes, the most important thing in the Baha'i faith is the unity of mankind. And we believe in um, all of the great world religions and that they came at different times during history to different people, that the spiritual laws through all the faiths have been the same, which is basically the simplicity, just love mankind. The physical laws may change from dispensation to dispensation because, because of health and, and that kind of a thing. Um, what I was going to say, you know, to your question of, um, can it be sacred if it's not from God? And I say, no, but most everything is from God. So that that's part of it too, right? It's like, um, when we're talking, I was thinking about this, um, when you're talking about in, to be uh, inspired and inspiration, well, the word is to be in spirit. So when you are inspired, even though you may be an agnostic or an atheist, you are being channeled in essence in spirit. And so through music, through writing, through dance, through um, any kind of artistic endeavors, to me, the you know, you say I'm inspired. So it doesn't matter if you, I mean, I don't mean that it doesn't matter that you know where it's coming from, sure. but that that is all of these things that are sacred come from God if we know it or not. I guess it would be my way of looking at it. And um, I just thought I would mention that my brother is a Kosick preacher in Flint, Michigan. So there you have that. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So when we get together and, you know, when we get, when we come together, it was amazing that I, I think Bob was very much a part of this idea that we were all um, a year, two years ago, facing the challenge of COVID. And we had this wonderful uh, public service announcement, this PSA that ran, that had folks of so many traditions, faith traditions, saying we are in the same boat get the shot right and i thought that was really one of the most beautiful and effective spots that i've seen but for everybody that we had on that psa saying get the shot we also know that there are some folks who were pretty stubborn about you know yielding to anything even you know, there were folks who thought that not getting a vaccine was was uh, emblematic of faith, right? That somehow, you know, I'm going to trust God. And we were trying to get beyond that idea of, of sort of closed-mindedness, right? So when we're examining these scripture, uh, the, the various scriptures we've been talking about, the various times that God has spoken to us through symbol, through word, through place, through... Uh, uh, um, um, our sort of faith leaders or architects, how, is there something that we can do that keeps us from being closed-minded of, of like seeing the letter, but not the spirit? Is, is there Brother, some way to I, deal with that? I don't know to call you brother or uncle, whatever. Man, you you hit me. I mean, you delivered a gut punch there, right? 
Oh boy. Uh, incidentally, if you go back and watch that video, I was in a different uh, physical. That was up. you. I recognize you now. Absolutely. You weren't in a car, but you were cool though, man. Can I interject for a second? I know the producer of that commercial, Amy Weber. She's the one who does all of the vaccine COVID things. So I thought, well, oh, there's awesome. community right there. Awesome. <laughs> And, and, and there is the saying that God works in mysterious ways. And this is one example of that, right? Um, I mean, there are enough crazies in the world, you know, and they're, they're equally distributed. They're equally distributed everywhere. <laughs> All of us have our fair share of these people, right? Uh, what I want to get back to is uh, our core topic of uh, what is sacred, how we recognize it, and what is not sacred. And uh, Reverend Robert, you you uttered a word uh, in your earlier talk, the word mundane. Mm -hmm. The opposite of sacred is not unsacred. It is the mundane. Mm. Would you agree? Mm. Yes. Right? I mean, you are getting up in the day, getting up in the morning, making your coffee, uh, going about and planning your day. That's the mundane. The sacred is that you withdraw from the mundane and you go into a space. Mm. It can be a minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it is. And what you do within that, it's your sacred, right? Mm -hmm. uh, for a Hindu, it can be chanting of a favorite prayer. It can be performing of a sacred ritual. It doesn't need to be elaborate. It can be as simple as lighting a wick lamp or a small tea light in front of their favorite deity and saying one or two prayers that they know, right? And earlier in the conversation, we talked about the power of the word. The word was with God. You remember that, right? Mm -hmm. So in the Hindu tradition, there is a word called mantra. I suspect it actually became a part of uh, um, the regular uh, American parlance, the mantra. Um, Janet or uh, um, uh, Bishop Corletta, you, you heard the word mantra? Of course. Yeah. So um, I don't know what you hear or what you feel when you see the word mantra in a newspaper or uh, some article you read? I would say I think of it as a um, intonation of words or sounds that are repeated. Perfect, perfect. That is the definition of mantra, right? In fact, one of the definitions of mantra is that mananat trayate iti mantra by frequent repetition, by frequent repetition, it saves you. Such a thing is mantra. Mm. We, we say these mantras because we feel secure in that, right? So this is where word becomes sacred. Mm. This is where what we repeat to ourselves becomes sacred. Forget about God. This is not about God, right? What are we repeating to ourselves? What are we repeating to ourselves from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed? And bed that what we repeat to ourselves in sleep is a different matter. I'm not getting into that. I'm not a psychologist. But uh, what we repeat to ourselves is the mantra. Uh -huh. So this is where the power of positive thinking, thinking good thoughts, all such things come in. This is where the idea of doing uh, good habits, inculcating good habits comes in, right? 
in the in the hindu tradition there is the concept of mangalam uh, again this is not a comment on anything else i'm just commenting uh, i'm just talking from a hindu perspective i have not really seen an equivalent concept anywhere else mangalam is auspiciousness auspiciousness well being it is not rich it is not healthy it is not um, green and it's not any one thing it is an essential well being internally or external everywhere everything is in balance that is auspiciousness you feel good do you feel good i feel good mm. that is auspicious that is mangalam right and hinduism is so funny a devotee is not satisfied with i want mangalam a devotee says i want mangalam on the god also i want the god to be fully satisfied <laughs> there was there was one um one devotee in ancient times a called per, um periyalwar he was called periyalwar um and he was such a devotee that god manifested in full physical form in front of him and the devotee felt oh my god he is going to attract all the evil eyes around him this is so beautiful so he called down mangalam on the god himself right mm. so the concept of mangalam mangalam is like well being at the core and that is sacred wow so as i remember when i was a, uh, you know when i was a kid uh, i ran across um a series of books by joseph campbell and he was very much you know about mythology and it's also about the idea if and correct me if i've i've given this wrong but mantra mudra and mandala that those three were just different representations of the invisible and the unknowable right you are you're right on the dot in fact if i had more time that's what i was going to say but you said it first you're absolutely yes. right <laughs> well that's good so and of course i mean it's amazing how as we're having this conversation i don't think i've heard anything from anybody that really has any gives us any reason to fight right i mean we we really <laughs> seem to be saying the same things in different ways sometimes saying the same things in the same way um talking about the ruah talking about that which you know god cannot be put in form but being human we want to represent god in some way shape or form artistically poetically you know but now here comes the question the question is has america with our secular country which supposedly is the thing that allows us to be united as americans because we are free we 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 have a freedom of religion but the idea is too is we have a freedom from religion right has this created in us this opening for people who live in the mundane all the time to now in a sense take over or or write the narrative of the sacred up the street from our church and i guess football can be sacred but up the street from our church is a football field and on sunday morning the these kids are outside playing a game and there's you, know, you can't see anywhere to park because the families of course are supporting the kids and the the players are out there and they're playing a little hearts out but it occurred to me that 50 or 60 years ago nobody would have had the guts to schedule a football game on a sunday morning simply because they would expect most of the players their parents their supporters, to be in the church to be in church or temple yep. or synagogue yep. or somewhere yep. right what is it about our society i mean is there a way to maintain the sacred as we've talked about it coming from god 
Is there a way to maintain the sacred in a secular country? And I remember when, you know, you couldn't go to the grocery store, uh, you couldn't wash clothes, you couldn't cook your meals, you couldn't do anything on Sunday because it was the Lord's day. And I still hold to some of those, uh, you know, those old fashioned uh, kinds of things. I don't wash clothes. I don't, you know, do a lot of that still even today. I remember when uh, people wouldn't even work on Sunday. Right. You know, they would not even go to work. Sunday was the Lord's day all day. Uh, and it didn't matter if it was morning or night. Then the industrial revolution, of course, hit us. And particularly in my area where I live, Detroit, Michigan, which became the motor city, motor capital of the world. So now factories and, and um, other things now are open. And that began to change the trajectory and the narrative of what now is sacred. Mm -hmm. And so we began to see, now, and I will say this, I can remember this, when men were in church every Sunday mm -hmm. for our faith, uh, Sunday and Sabbath, for those that were seventh day believers. Now, when people say, you know, where are the men? I will tell you where they are, they're at work. And so there was a time when a deacon, a man, a pastor, no, they wouldn't dare work on Sunday. You know, it was anathema. It was unholy. It was ungodly. It was unsacred. And then the revolution of the car industry uh, became a reality and not women because women were not working in the factories. But then men began to get double time and on holiday, triple time, holiday pay, they began to get and so it became a cultural norm for people to work on Sundays. And so it left the church empty of male presence. And now, I don't know, you know, again, that has, 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 has extended to other things. But I believe that as time continues to progress, we're going to always have the tension between what a culture, a people, an ethnicity, a group regards as sacred. And as money becomes a motivator, as necessity becomes a motivator, you know, one of the things I notice about high school games, they always put them on Sundays, college mm -hmm. games, they put them on Sunday. Mm -hmm. I remember when you couldn't play football, you couldn't pick up a bat on Sunday. Right. My daddy, my daddy was, oh my God. What? <laughs> what? Right. My right. mom cooked, my mama cooked dinner on Saturday. Sunday dinner was ready Saturday night. You didn't wash hair. You didn't iron clothes. You didn't do anything on Sunday except go to your place of worship. But as culture has evolved and become more and more secular. Mm -hmm. The sacred now must be maintained and must be elevated by those of us who still hold those, mm -hmm. those statuettes. Mm -hmm. I, the other Sunday, I got out of church real early. I came home and I needed to change the linen on my bed. So I was taking the linen off the bed. I put new linen on the bed. So I went <laughs> into the laundry room and I was going to put it in the machine. And I heard my mother say, you don't wash on Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> that and, is fantastic and i want you to know i did not start that machine and i think it's those things that we communicate to our children something has to be holy yes something yeah. has to be sacred and i close it with this remember the sabbath and keep it holy and yes, the sabbath beautiful. may not be the yes, seventh beautiful. day it may yep. be the first day maybe the third day yeah, i know but make it holy. Do, do, do you make know it. there is a there is a movement in Germany to make Wednesday the middle of the week holiday? Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I've mm. been in different spaces. There is a movement. Person. There is a movement. But make it, but make it holy. Make it holy, and 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 keep it holy. And give that to your <laughs> right. children right. as a right. gift of sacred. Bishop Juan, yeah. uh, that is that is one spirited presentation. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it.
Yeah, I think I think you are the I think you are the most dramatic one. And you, know, <laughs> you just wait. You haven't seen me yet. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we're, c funny. I'm coming to you right okay. now. Right? All right. All right. All right. So, first of all, uh, thank you, Bishop Vaughn. I know you have to leave. It's the the it's the election, and I'm looking forward to the election being over because I am so tired of seeing everybody munch up and chop up everybody else, you know, but, uh, mm -hmm. and these truths and half truths, which are nowhere close to sacred, but I guess that's, that's what we're going to have to do right now, you know, but, you know, it's interesting. Nazi brought up this idea of the mundane and the sacred. And it occurs to me that you can do the same action and it can be either mundane or sacred. You can find the sacredness in any action. I remember one day I'm, I'm, I'm up and I'm thinking about growing up in Detroit and, and my mother was on welfare and, you know, she was trying to make ends meet and food stamps and all of that stuff. And I'm sitting in my house and I'm drinking a cup of coffee in the house that I own at my table, secure in, with my kids and the refrigerator and my wife and all of that. And I started to tear up. It was like a sacred moment over that cup of coffee, right? Uh, the great Dr. Martin Luther King talks about having a conversion over a cup of coffee. Is there a way, um, and I'm gonna ask you, uh, I'm gonna ask you, uh, Janet, is there a way to infuse the sacred into the mundane or to transform the mundane? I think that, and I don't know if the word is sacred, but I know Mother Teresa said it isn't about doing grand things, it's about doing small things with great love. So mm. if you're in line at the grocery store and you see somebody who's in a hurry and you're not, and you say, go ahead, you know, you can go in front of me, or you let the simple things in, in your day-to-day -day life, you let somebody out into traffic, you open the door for someone, you silently, you see somebody in turmoil, you sign, silently say a prayer for them. I think all of those little actions um, can seem mundane. They're not great actions, but they're little actions done with great love. And I think that if everyone in their whole daily life were just doing this thing, it's like the ripple effect goes out there and maybe they pick it up and feel it, and then maybe they continue on with that great, you know, that little, act of kindness. Now, I'm not saying those actions are sacred, but it is no. um, elevating the energy around us. Yeah, kind of it, it feels yeah, totally. like, totally, totally. Yeah, I, I, you know, it feels like if you're doing this act of, and I would call it grace, the grace is coming from somewhere. Like, you know, everybody else is all, you know, agitated and, and frustrated by that line or by that traffic jam and, and you try to bring that positivity in it, that's God working through you as an act of grace, right? Or, and it, it's not, it, you know, it doesn't look like a big deal if I shovel my neighbor's snow, but it may if be- I can, If I can interject. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, grace is like the oxygen in the atmosphere. It is there. It is always there. Whether you breathe it and absorb it is up to you. Mm. Mm. That, is the, that is the manna from the heaven. Wow. It is always there. God's grace is always there. Right? I mean, God is always graceful. Yes. Yeah? Yes. And are we re are we receptive to it or not is the basic question right and all our efforts yours uh, um uh, bishop Corletta's and and uh, sister janet's efforts or to call our brothers to say the grace is there take part in and that is the sacred. Mm. Um, I, if you, if you don't mind, I want to recite uh, a Vedic um, Veda. Uh, I'm sure 
most of you, you are all learned people. Uh, Veda is the basis of Hinduism. Uh, um, uh, it is multiple books. Uh, I want to say this. Uh, uh, how do I say it? Um, recitation. It is the recitation uh, that pronounces multifarious manifestation of divinity in this creation. So it goes on like that. And it describes 340 forms of physical existence where divinity manifests itself. Hmm. From rising sun to the setting sun, from a sapling that is coming out of the earth to a flowing river by the sand that is by the flowing river to the waves that are flowing the ocean, flowing out of the ocean. All these are manifestations of the divinity. These are the manifestations of divinity. These are the manifestations of sacred that we can see in front of our eyes. Mm. And that's what it is teaching. Wow. And uh, for the people who are interested, um, this is the hymn that is called Rudram or Namakam. It has two names, Rudram or Namakam. It is a Hindu hymn from the Vedas uh, that talks about, you know, Hinduism talks about uh, it, 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 the whole thing starts from this one saying, Ekam Sat, the truth is one. The truth is one. There is only, there, I mean, Robert. Yes. You are born in a different time, in a different place from me. But here we are on the same moment, on this electronic medium, talking about these things. So the truth is one. Yes. But vipraha bahudha vadanti. The learned people speak in different ways. Mm. The truth is one, but the learned people speak in different ways. And I salute my learned sisters who joined me today. It is beautiful. It, it is, is beautiful. beautiful. I can't really think of a better way to end this conversation than what you just said. And, you know, we've been talking about the sacred and every one of us, every one of us seems to agree that the sacred is everywhere. So is the mundane. But, you know, those of us who see the sacred um, are blessed by it. And uh, and it is our responsibility to take that inspiration that God has given us, the divine has given us, and to bring it into our mundane worlds, our mundane life. You know, in the beginning was the Tao, <laughs> and you know, in the beginning was the word, you know, and it becomes the 10,000 things. So I really appreciate meeting you. Uh, yes, go ahead, Janet. I wanted to, to piggyback on what Massey said about the truth is one. There is a saying in the Baha'i faith that the earth is but one country and mankind its citizens. Whoa. <laughs> Very deep. Very enjoyable hour. Thank you all. Thank, thank you, Janet. You for letting me be here. I appreciate it. Thank oh, you. Oh, thank you. I've enjoyed it. Thank you, Nasi Santagiri. Thank you. And uh and, and thank you, Bishop Coletta Vaughn. And big thank you to to Bob um for kind of being our facilitator and Bob Utel, you know, the universal, um, the universal stick'em. So <laughs> we appreciate you and I'll toss it back to you, Bob. All right, well, I'm happy to have been listening to this presentation today. It's been wonderful. 
So to our listeners, you've been listening to a conversation presented by the Interfaith Leadership Council and produced by Lillian Preston, who will do her magic after we hand off this recording to her. Uh, it has been a conversation on what is the sacred, what is sacred in our world today. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on the Interfaith Leadership Council of Metropolitan Detroit, please visit our website. I'm sure you all are used to listening to these, www.DetroitInterfaithCouncil.com. Uh, we would very much appreciate your thoughtful comments on today's podcast at our uh, email site, which is Faith and Works Podcast, and is spelled A-N-D, Faith and Works Podcast at gmail.com. I am Bob Brutel, the uh, uh, Vice Chairman of the Interfaith Leadership Council, and uh, you are hearing music. Uh, the intro and the uh, exit music is from bensound.com, and we appreciate uh, the music that they have provided for us. Good evening. Listen to our podcast. So this one will be number 15. There are 14 others that uh, are on our website. Bye now. <laughs>